for Wednesday, December 22nd, it's the early word from the WNYC Newsroom. Hi there, I'm Isaac Davey Aronson with a look at this morning's top news, the day ahead, and reporting highlights from the WNYC News team. Coming up, we hear from Marianne McCune about the struggle to improve outcomes for young offenders in New York who end up in juvenile facilities upstate. We start with this morning's top headlines just ahead. The Early Word is a production of WNYC Radio. You can support this podcast by making a donation at WNYC.org, where you can also get the latest updates on this morning's headlines on the news page. It appears President Obama will get his top foreign policy priority today, ratification of a new nuclear treaty with Russia. Eleven Republican senators joined a vote to end debate on the pact, giving the treaty the two-thirds majority needed. The deal would limit the number of nuclear warheads in Russia and the U.S. and create a system to monitor and verify them. In the House, a sweeping food safety bill got final approval after several false starts since it was first passed in July of last year. The $1.4 billion legislation headed to President Obama's desk gives the Food and Drug Administration broad new powers to inspect processing plants, order recalls, and impose stricter standards for imported food. The U.S. now officially has 308,745,538 people, but not enough of them live in New York and New Jersey for the states to keep all their congressional representatives. WNYC's Arun Venegapal has more. According to the Census Bureau, the United States population rose 9.3 percent since 2000, but New York grew more slowly than most other states by just 2.3 percent. That figure means the state will lose two congressional seats. It'll now have 27. That's a contrast to the clout the state had back in the 1920s and 30s, when New York held 45 seats. It now finds itself tied with Florida, which gained two seats, and well behind Texas. California remains at the top with 53. New Jersey is set to lose one representative, and Connecticut is keeping its five seats. For WNYC, I'm Arun Venigopal. Mayor Bloomberg and Reverend Al Sharpton want to put the state out of the juvenile justice business. They say the city's gotten good results with a three-year initiative that's kept delinquents in community programs near home. WNYC's Bob Henley reports. Mayor Bloomberg says it currently costs $62 million to have the state house 569 youthful offenders from New York City. He says the community-based alternatives cost a fraction of that and they keep the troubled teens in better schools. Schools at these upstate facilities are often little more than rubber rooms for students. They aren't accredited, which means that after release, kids find that the time they've spent in these classrooms has, for all practical purposes, been wasted. Bloomberg said the city already has the facilities needed to detain violent youthful offenders, and teens will do better once they're released. Four out of five of the juveniles sent upstate are rearrested within three years. Officials say initial results for the city's community-based programs are far more promising. For WNYC, I'm Bob Henley. And we'll get a more in-depth look at this topic from Marianne McCune in just a couple minutes. Chain stores extended their reach in New York City in 2010. A new survey finds the large retailers increased their number of outlets by 4%. WNYC's Ilya Meritz has the details. The chain with the most stores, once again, is Dunkin' Donuts. There are 466 places to buy its munchkins in the city. Second place goes to Subway, followed by Starbucks, Dwayne Reed, McDonald's, Baskin-Robbins, Rite Aid, GNC, Radio Shack, and T-Mobile. 
no shockers there. But Jonathan Bowles, director of the Center for an Urban Future, was surprised by what his survey found about Metro PCS, the cell phone provider. They actually uh, went from having just seven locations uh, in our 2009 study to 35 this year, uh, a staggering 400% increase. T-Mobile, Sprint, and Verizon Wireless also opened more doors in 2010. Clearly, New Yorkers love to talk. For WNYC, I'm Ilya Meritz. For the first time in 18 years, the Metropolitan Transportation Authority will no longer make room in the subway system for literary musings. The MTA is replacing its Train of Thought series with ads highlighting the improvements the MTA is making to the system. Manhattan resident Janet Dunn says she'll miss the old campaign. It's something I think will be more noticed when it's taken away, that you don't have that respite from, you know, being sold things or the big bustle. To offer your own poetry or prose about MTA service, visit our website, wnyc.org. Taking a look at today's calendar, President Obama will sign the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the 17-year policy banning gays from serving openly in the armed forces. Today's economic reports include third-quarter gross domestic product, November mass layoffs, and last month's existing home sales. The Senate is expected finally to approve the James Zadroga 9-11 Health and Compensation Act, probably one of the last votes of the lame duck session. And in New York, Mayor Bloomberg plants the Ground Zero Survivor Tree at the 9-11 Memorial Plaza. The scorched tree was rescued after the attacks and has been growing in Van Cortlandt Park ever since. Just a few of the things happening this Wednesday. When New York kids get convicted of a crime, they can be sent upstate to the juvenile equivalent of a prison or serve their sentence at home in mandatory programs that aim to turn them into law-abiding citizens. Study after study has shown that incarcerating kids is unlikely to keep them out of trouble in the long run. So city and state officials have been diverting as many kids as possible into community-based programs. But about 700 are currently housed in upstate facilities. WNYC's Marianne McCune spoke with Takeaway host Richard Hake about what New York State is doing to try to improve outcomes for those kids. Richard began by asking Marianne what these upstate facilities are like. Are they just prison for kids? Well, that's exactly the issue. They do vary a lot. There are about two dozen facilities across the state, and there are, of course, higher and lower security ones, and some are more successful than others. But the fact is that over the past few decades, a lot of these institutions became very Mm -hmm. prison-like. The kids were kept mostly inside, walked around in single file with their hands behind their backs. They were told not to speak to each other in cafeterias during meals. And more importantly, a Department of Justice investigation found in 2009 that the staff working with them were way too ready to throw them on the floor or use other physical restraints, which amounted in some cases to physical abuse. And these are kids who, yes, they've committed crimes, but many of them are misdemeanors. They're not felonies. That's something that the director of the Finger Lakes Residential Center loves to remind people. His name is Alvin Lolly. They're not evildoers. They're kids that have a lot of trauma and who have screwed up. So the idea is that the state agency in charge of handling these kids is trying to change the culture of the institutions that house them. That is the idea, yes, Mm -hmm. because the Department of Justice findings aside, it's clear the way these facilities have been run is not working. I mean, almost nine out of 10 boys reenter the criminal justice system by the time they're 28 after being in these facilities. 
So the commissioner of the agency in charge, the Office of Children and Family Services, has been on a very public mission to divert as many kids as possible away from these institutions into alternative programs in or near their homes. And she's closed down 16 facilities since she came on in 2007, but she's also trying to change the way the remaining upstate institutions are run. And that is a very difficult task. That director that you just heard from the Finger Lakes Residential Center right outside of Ithaca, he's a guy who was brought in to try to make the place more about rehabilitation and less about punishment. And when he tells you how challenging that is, his eyes get big, like, oh, you can't even imagine. And this is in a facility that's now being monitored by the Department of Justice. So he's actually been given a lot of resources in terms of new staff and training and especially mental health staff to try to usher in this new culture. So when you say new culture, what are we talking about here? Well, there's actually a specific model they're using called the sanctuary program that is all about looking at kids as human beings who have experienced all kinds of trauma. And the staff are supposed to try to help young people work through some of that trauma and learn to make better decisions in life. So similar to a child that has been maybe abused by their parent or they suffered a loss, they're going to treat them sort of the same way. Right. They're trying to understand what happened and try to help them work through it. Here's a concrete example of the kind of change we're talking about. First of all, Alvin Lolly walks through Finger Lakes Residential Center bumping fists with kids and hugging them. And he tries to get them to talk to him about where they are in terms of getting out and what kind of plan they have. And they're allowed now to talk during meals, by the way. Um, But he wants the staff to help them learn how to make their own good decisions. So that means the idea is basically you only put your hands on them in a situation where they're posing a danger to you or to someone else or to themselves. So, Marianne, is the staff on board with a lot of these changes? Sounds like maybe not 100 percent. It varies. I think there are many people who came to this job because they wanted to help kids, but they knew the status quo wasn't working. So those people are glad for a more therapeutic approach. But there's little love between employees of these facilities and their commissioner. She has been very brash in her criticism of the system and of them. And the unions say she's expecting them to behave differently, but that she's not giving them adequate backup and training and the actual tools to work with kids in this new way, when what they're used to is keeping order and controlling the kids, often physically. So here's Stephen Medeiros, the spokesperson of CSEA, the union that represents those who work directly with the kids. They feel very unsure of the way that they are actually operating, and there's a sense that the clients have been empowered and the staff has been undermined. For the record, the Office of Children and Family Services has provided thousands of hours of training. It's just that there's disagreement about whether it's been enough. And statistics do show the rate of injuries to staff caused by kids in these facilities has gone up over the past couple of years. And I'm sure they're not happy about the commissioner's other idea of closing so many facilities. No. I mean, there's the fact that that means employees either get laid off or move to other facilities. That doesn't go over well, especially in communities that are suffering economically. There's a law that requires the state to give a year's notice before shutting down a facility, and that has resulted in this strained situation, for example, where a facility called Tryon has been open and maintained for the past year, but it's pretty much empty. There are no kids in there. So Commissioner Carrion is unhappy that she can't close facilities faster and divert that money toward more community-based programs. And in fact, the city is suing the state because they've been paying more and more every year toward these upstate facilities, despite the fact that they send fewer and fewer kids there each year. WNYC's Marianne McCune speaking with The Takeaway host, Richard Hake. (laughs) 
Beard like Moses, kick it with the opposition of the posers. Thanks be going ear, passing over each and every four. Wake up and smell the Folgers. I don't want to hear how it won't work. We'll wrap up with the gig alerts. I'll look at tonight's music scene. Homeboy Sandman is a hip-hop artist who boasts an Ivy League vocabulary and some great lyrical dexterity. Sandman was raised in Elmhurst, Queens, and went to the University of Pennsylvania. And although this track, The Carpenter, name-drops Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, Sandman keeps the scholarly references to a minimum. You can catch Homeboy Sandman live at Brooklyn Bowl tonight in Williamsburg, and you can download this track for free on our culture site. Just click on culture at wnyc.org. You can learn more about all the stories you heard here, download more podcasts, and go in-depth with our reporters on the news blog. It's all at our website, wnyc.org. You can hear us there 24 hours a day, as well as on the air at 93.9 FM and AM820. From the WNYC Newsroom, I'm Isaac Davy Aronson. Have a great day. I'm never gonna slow, I'm never gonna stall, I'm never gonna cease, I'm never gonna cheat, I'm never gonna cheat, never gonna eat, I'm never gonna...